You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right. Well, I have a question on the table, but let me start with a story for you. Uh, we've been working here at 1208 to make uh, service more communal that we're all kind of weighing in together. So as we go through this, um, there'll be spaces for you to kind of give input and whatnot if you're comfortable with that. Uh, if you find that you're often the one talking, try to leave space for the shyer people who want to talk but need 10 minutes of silence before they do it. 1208 is a introverted church um, for whatever reason. So there's <laughs> that. Um, so when I was in college, I had this professor, Ken Brewer, and I loved this guy. He was a huge impact on my life, and I would often spend time in his office or on road trips to do uh, different events with him and just kind of learn whatever I could from him. And uh, there were always these little statements here and there that would kind of like catch me off guard, and I'd have to think really hard about it, try to think to myself, does that make sense? that line up with the Bible and it would uh, grab my attention in different ways and I remember one of the things that came up at one point I think it was just down in his office or his closet is more what it is at the the theology department <laughs> it's down in his closet office and uh, uh, as we were down there uh, he mentioned that God moves in waves I think that was in response because uh, I, I really wanted to be a part of this consuming fire thing that he was doing where the Holy Spirit was showing up tangibly on Wednesday nights, knocking people over, crazy stuff happening, people getting healed, demons being cast out right there in, in room 501 or something. Uh, and uh, uh, people would hear the stories and make its way around campus. I remember the day I came in, I was like, all right, I've been terrified to learn about this stuff but I gotta know, so will you teach me? He's like, sure. I was like, all right, when's consuming fire? When are we going? He's like, oh, that stopped last year. It's <laughs> like, no, I waited too long. Uh, so now I was like, uh, on one side it was a good thing because I had all his attention. All these other students had graduated. <laughs> but on the other side, it was, it was like a, a slower learning process. And uh, we would, pray and and uh, I'd be kind of waiting for like when are we going to get like this next kind of like movement here at Spring Arbor of, of God doing these crazy things and and he just mentioned at one point that God often moves in waves I didn't know what to do with that I'm like does he I mean because when you're first learning about the Holy Spirit and you start seeing things happen all the time you just uh, uh, kind of get to this point where you're like Anything could happen at any time. I just got to be ready for it. And you get out there and you pray and it happens and it's cool and it's awesome. And when anybody ever comes, like, it doesn't always happen. You're like, maybe, maybe it does, though. Maybe we just don't have enough faith. Or like, maybe it didn't get to work because you weren't hearing her. You know, you're just, you're super psyched and pumped up, which is all good. It's all good. Everybody goes through this phase uh, until eventually you come out of magic land and you come back to reality where heaven is breaking through on earth. Yes, and the Holy Spirit does do tangible miracles in your midst but maybe not every single moment of every day maybe sometimes there's even these really focused moments of like these huge waves of the holy spirit and then it seems to kind of feel 
like it's in a, it calms down, like an ebb and flow that it just keeps kind of changing over time. And so as that has stuck with me throughout the years, uh, I've now like thought more like with the Bible. Does it show that? And that's kind of the question I have on the table. What do you think throughout history or in the Bible? Do you see ebbs and flows of the Holy Spirit? I'd like to hear your thoughts. And where specifically? My first two thoughts are there was a lot of silence before um, the birth of Christ. Mm. And so that maybe would be like the role um, of the voice of God or the Holy Spirit or like using it similarly. I don't know what the Holy Spirit was doing during that time. Um, but, um, and then I always think, you think of Pentecost and like the presence of the Holy Spirit flooding the room mm. in a really obvious way. And yeah, those are two great examples. From exile to Jesus, <laughs> the first prophet declared, I think it's Jeremiah, is like, it's going to be 70 years of exile. Oh, it's not so bad. It's one generation, you know. <laughs> but then another prophet later was like, uh, what Jeremiah meant is it's like 70 times 7 years. <laughs> Why? Because it's taking so long. And so you see the prophets kind of like working off each other to extend how long it's taking. And so in that case, like, that was a real dry time, right? I mean, people were waiting for the Messiah for a very long time. And the prophets themselves had to kind of capitalize upon how long it was taking to try to help people still be hopeful. Or another example, Jesus, right? Uh, I'll be back in 70 years. Before this generation dies, I'll be here. You're like 1,930 years late, Jesus. You know, it's like, we're, we're, no, no, it's 2021. We're nearly like all 2,000 years late at this point. Uh, so right there, you see this kind of delay of Jesus in the beginning and this delay of Jesus later. We were joking on the Jackson Cloud episode we were recording the other day that it always seems like God's in heaven going like, hey, hold on, wait, hang on. <laughs> and you even see like that's hard. That, that's hard. The people in Revelation who have died and are in heaven, it has them in this like altar to God. And they're like, hey God, uh, when are you going to avenge us already? And like the answer is continually, hold on. <laughs> Hey, one, one minute. I always think of my daughter. When, when she learned how to tell us to hold on, she did it all the time. So, Jericho, come down. Sir. Hold on. Hold on. No, I'm in charge of you. <laughs> hold, hold on. Uh, but yeah, God, God moves slow sometimes. Uh, what was he? You said Pentecost, right? Uh, how many days between when Jesus died and Pentecost? I think it's uh, 50. Or at least Pentecost basically means 50. So uh, you've got this like, go wait in the city. I will send my Holy Spirit to you and then you can go out and do ministry. Okay. Like next week maybe? Hold on. <laughs> maybe, maybe in about a month and a half. <laughs> uh, okay. Just going to wait in this upper room for 50 days. That You know, like... Did they know? Did they know that was the moment? I bet you they did it. <laughs> it just surprise, tongues of fire. What's happening? We're all gonna die. You know, it's just confusing moment. But yeah, Kayla gave us two examples. What else? 
Where's other moments in the Bible? It doesn't even necessarily have to be the Holy Spirit. Where's just moments in the Bible where where God seems to be moving in an ebb and flow? Or history. The Israelites walking in, wandering in the desert. Wandering in the desert for like 40 years, right? Which that wasn't even the original plan. They were just so annoying. <laughs> so stubborn that God's like, hold on. <laughs> we're going to do this a little longer. But don't you think that's why there are more waves? Is we need that time to process what we just experienced. Mm-hmm. Because if we just kept getting new stuff all the time, we'd forget and we wouldn't really own it. Yeah. And we need to own the process so we can build on the next level and the next level. Because waves are also building. It's not just sequence, but it's helping us prepare for what's next. Yeah, and that is a huge thought we're going to get into here. It, no, 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 no. I, I meant to piggyback that off Kayla's. I just talked so much I forgot to do it. Um, but yeah, that, we're going to come back to that. Everybody hold on to that thought. Same with exile, right? There was an intention behind exile. What was it? Nobody ever talks about exile in church, so we always forget what exile is. Refinement, right? Yeah, that's a good word. Like, it's, it's an end to... Uh, it's, generation that wasn't faithful. Yeah, not just a... It's like a generation after subsequent generations of of being unfaithful where God's like I've had it you have spilled more blood than the very very cities that I had you attack like you're worse than everybody else and so now I have to release you over to to the weight of your sin uh you know like the world needs to see God himself I'm not tangled up I'm sorry my people have done this and so God like removes himself for refinement uh, or for waiting for a remnant to arise, um, as Jesus is going to push on. There's an uncomfortable passage that is hit on many times in the New Testament from Isaiah, where Jesus and Paul and others like to quote Isaiah, where Isaiah says, I've made people deaf and I don't want them to hear. <laughs> like, okay, that's the good news, you know, part of the good news, God's trying to hide some of the gospel for some reason. Uh, But that goes back to this remnant idea of like, I'm looking for people super interested and faithful and and following me. Uh, Those are the people that I'm out to find. So, wandering in the wilderness, there's a refinement, turning them over to the agony of their uh, uh, sin and disobedience and unfaithfulness. Exile is the same thing, right? Turning them over to the agony of their sin, disobedience, unfaithfulness. What else? Where else does God pause? Kathy? Oh. Or you had no, something on that? On the flip side, I guess, of that is that there's something that's been kind of, I've been kind of, I want to say, I've been like studying and, and reading the Bible um, lately, and jumping out to me. It seems like God moves. And you see this a lot in Acts, but in other places too, throughout Scripture, when the people are uh, waiting on the Holy Spirit. You see that quite a few times in Acts. Like, well, first, in Pentecost, they're in an upper room praying for 10 days. Just together, just praying, basically. Um, before the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure how well that went, <laughs> but how, you know, but they're still sincere and they're waiting on God. And then you see other times they're waiting on God, it says. So they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're um, praying and fasting. 
you know, those kinds of things. The implication being that they're actually like, uh, yeah, waiting on God, I guess. I'm not, sorry, it's not like a perfect record, but they're expecting something from him and they're desiring it to be him and they don't want to move ahead of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit usually shows up in like a big way. And you see that in the Old, Old Testament too. The, even in the example you gave, like it seems like the, God is is unhappy with like their unbelief or their. It's not that they were. To me, like when I read that story about like the spies, you know, going into the land and then they come back, they're like spreading their um, their fear and their disbelief among the camp. And then everybody's kind of raising up against Joshua and Caleb, saying, oh, we can't go, because, you know, and God's like, you didn't believe me. And I think that's a weird choice of words when I saw it first. I was like, that's interesting. God is unhappy with their unbelief. It's not really, to me, it seems like God wasn't like, I can't believe you didn't go. It's, you should have believed that I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, it's good points. Yeah, I mean, Joshua in general, you know, the unfaithfulness in Joshua's midst is almost an extreme because God's liberated you out of Egypt and you still don't believe. God's taken out armies by making you march around a wall <laughs> and you still don't believe. God made Gideon mark it down to almost nobody and they still want to battle and you still don't believe. So that becomes like a constant, like, you know, there's almost an unfaithfulness in the fact that, like, God's proved himself a hundred times over at this point and they still still don't really have faith in him. Why there's waves. Yeah. He's waiting for someone. Stop getting ahead of me, Al. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. He's That's good. What I'm saying, like, I feel like the remnant idea, the, the the waiting upon the Lord idea, all of that kind of connects to this idea that we need to partner with God. We need to like actually seek Him with all that we are. I don't know. It's just something that's been rising up for me. I, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's part of why we're preaching this tonight. So hold on to that thought because we're coming back to it. Okay. All right. Everybody's already getting ahead of the game. Very good. You're all thinking the same way. The Holy Spirit is here, unifying our minds as one. Very good. Okay. Here's another thought. Going yeah. Back to the Holy Spirit. Mm. In the Old Testament, obviously, the Spirit comes up in Genesis 1. Mm. It is involved in, obviously, the creation. So the Spirit is there creating. And then, if I've got it right, the Holy Spirit doesn't really show up again in the Old Testament until... I don't know his name, is getting ready to build the temple. And so he's given the first gift hmm. of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, the Spirit is there creating. The Spirit is there gifting us to create. And that's kind of a long lapse in the, in the Old Testament. But you're showing, he's showing up very purposefully. Yeah. And very importantly right there, because in the beginning, God creates his sacred space on the earth so the holy spirit has to be at work in that right 
Uh, as well as sustaining life, the Holy Spirit creates and sustains life. The Holy Spirit's a creator. In the resurrection with the new heavens and new earth, the Holy Spirit creates us into the image of Jesus, putting us in new bodies, things like that. So creation is often attached back to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus and to God, you know, because it's the Trinity. Um, but when they're making the tabernacle, as you just mentioned, if you focus really close attention to the way they describe building the tabernacle, it works off Genesis 1. It uses the same language. The idea is just as God built sacred space through the Holy Spirit at the beginning, now the Holy Spirit has to empower these people to build sacred space again because this is where God lives. It's his sacred presence. So, yeah, there's a... a, And the Holy Spirit is actually rarely called the Holy Spirit throughout the whole Bible. The Old Testament is usually Spirit of the Lord. New Testament, often it's just Spirit. But... uh, uh, you see him show up. I don't know about the gap if it's between Genesis 1 and there, but those two are spots where you see it showing up purposefully. Um, and those are, those are moments where God shows up and he's doing a, a new thing, the creation of the world, but also this new ebb and flow of, of I'm putting my presence tangibly among you. Where I go, you go, right? So, yeah, that would be a good ebb and flow right there. And how much time, um, since Marie's called attention to that part of the Bible, how much time do we have between Israel and the end of Genesis? (laughs) It's like a fun prophetic word towards the end of Genesis. Abraham himself has to live in this, or Abraham's line has to live in this wave. I will make you a nation, you know, I will, I will give you many children, you will bless all the nations, you will eventually, through Jesus, inherit the world, right? Uh, he then tells Abraham, <laughs> um, tells Abraham, like, but first you're going to be slaves in e- Egypt for like 400 years or something like that. I don't remember the exact amount. Al, you want to chime in? 400? I think it's 400. Um, but you're going to be slaves in Egypt for a few hundred years. Like, there's an ebb and flow. <laughs> Even in Abraham's own life, I'm going to give you a son. Okay, like, tomorrow, like, I can take care of the stuff that gets us there, you know? <laughs> uh, is tomorrow when that's going to happen? No, it's going to be like when you're 90-something. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Abraham, you're going to inherit the land of Canaan. Okay. Uh, I'm about to die, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I'll give you this tomb uh, where you can bury yourself in the Canaan property line. Uh, it's really through your descendants where Canaan will come. So even in Abraham's own life, it's like ebbing and flowing. Uh, the Bible even itself is often like the greatest hits of people's lives. You ever notice that? Paper's expensive. You don't have a lot of time to write a giant memoir of Abraham's life. So here's the big points. In other words, like it seems like God is showing up constantly. But what if that's because these are like the biggest moments where God showed up in their lives and they had to mark that down? I mean, just to write the book of Romans, I think, cost like $1,000 in paper at the time. Like it's, it's expensive and tedious work to write scripture. Uh, or think of the prophets. We have the big prophets like Isaiah. Then we have the minor prophets. Really, Amos, you were a prophet. You gave us like two pages, dude. That was your whole life's work of like 
words from the Holy Spirit. So like you see these kinds of ebbs and flow. And I'm sure they heard more than that. But you see it capitalizing on these moments. Where else? Other moments? Ebbs and flow? Can we prove that this really is a thing? Any others? I mean, we've established the point pretty well. I just didn't know if anybody else had your final. Jacob having to wait another seven years to marry the wife he really wanted to marry the first time. <laughs> yep, that's a fun story we don't have time for. <laughs> yeah, I, wonder, I wonder how he, um, he married his, um, his wife and fiance's sister. Yeah. Like, how, like this, how is that possible? Uh... <laughs> Lots and lots of inebriation, I believe. Inebriation and darkness uh, would be my guess. Uh, yeah, so there's another example of slowness. I think one other one I would just throw out is in... Uh, 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 but Samuel, I was going to say Solomon. Samuel's time. The book of Samuel starts with, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. That always bugs me. I'm like, what, God just stopped talking to his people? <laughs> like, what, what's going on here? And the interesting thing about the book of Samuel is it starts with God hasn't spoken in forever, but then he raised up Samuel, who was very much like a sacrifice on his mom's behalf. So this is like a very committed, like God is blessing someone's huge commitment, their pain, to really follow through on something they promised. Something that I don't even know if God would be like, no, no, you can keep the child. You know, like, was that God's intent? I don't, probably, I guess, the Bible phrases it in that direction. But like, she then weans the baby and then Samuel grows up in sacred space. He lives in the tabernacle, sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant where... God is thought to sit on top of it. He's not inside of it like Indiana Jones, but sitting on top of it. And uh, it's no wonder that one day Samuel hears God say, Samuel, and then he's like, who was that? <laughs> uh, right up here, dude, just look up. <laughs> but God meets with Samuel. And once God starts talking to Samuel, the prophets are born. And the very job of the prophets are to hear God's voice and speak it out. So it goes from uh, Israel's unfaithfulness. Now nobody's heard from God for a while. Now God starts speaking to one guy because of the commitment of his mother. He's honoring that. And now that one guy is going to go on to raise up an entire school of prophets that will then give birth to more schools of prophets for as far as the eye can see. And these schools of prophets are going to be some of the only people in the Bible who are faithful to speaking God's word out and, and bringing conviction upon Israel for the things that they've done. And not every prophet is great. I mean, Jonah gets the prophetic word, but then would prefer to commit suicide over, over actually following through with following the prophetic word. But the prophets bring the voice of God back to Israel after long silence. These are ebbs and flows of God moving, and that's throughout history, right? If, if revivals happened every day, we wouldn't call it revival, we would call it life. But they don't happen every day. They move in waves. The Wesleyan revival. We exist as a free Methodist church because of God blessing this committed guy back in the day who then 
was able to raise up all these churches that even into today is the work that he did on behalf of uh, uh, serving Jesus continues on in, in our movements today. More specifically, we're a free Methodist church, so that's based out of this B.T. Roberts movement of kind of social justice within the Methodist church, saying slavery is not okay, uh, the poor should be able to go to church and not be charged to get in here, uh, there's freedom for, for people and we need to be about that. And so you have the movement of something that B.T. Roberts felt compelled to be faithful to God. And, and you have that with the Martin Luther movement. I mean, think of any denomination. Denominations exist because a revival started out of an ebb and flow and it did so much impact and movement that it caused people to continue to uh, follow God out of the faithfulness of our predecessors, right? But those don't happen every day. So, why don't they happen every day? This is where we get back to Al, and this is where we get to Kathy and Kayla, the things that you guys have already fed into this. Al, would you like to continue your thoughts on, on like, why not every day or why it pauses, things like that? Well, my thoughts are is that you don't get the next thing from God until you get what he's already told you down back. And if you're not listening, not applying, not doing it, then he's not moving to the next, because why would you give something more when you don't know, when you don't have the foundation. And I just think that that becomes important for us as a, a movement to realize, wait a minute, we have to be about being consistent and faithful to what we've been given before the next thing comes. Hmm. Um, I used this story when I spoke in chapel on Monday about um, Joseph. At 17, he had a dream. He was going to have all these things. Well, he wouldn't go from 17 to second in command of Egypt. He didn't know how to do it. But God sold him to slavery and it says he rose up to be in charge of the entire household. Now we think slavery is a bad thing, and it is, but God used that to prepare him. Then he was put in prison, and it says he grew to be in charge of the entire prison as the prisoner, and he learned to manage a much bigger system. Well, then God knew he was ready to handle all the country. And I think sometimes we don't practice what we know because that's God getting us ready for what's next. Yeah, I think when you look throughout the Bible, a lot of moments of silence come out of unfaithfulness, or as Cassie, Cassie Kathy said, unbelief, um, uh, no desire to follow after God. I mean, the book of Judges is just that cycle over and over again. God, we love you. We're going to go worship false gods now. Ah, oh, what happened? Why did our lives fall apart? God, will you come save us, please? We promise to only worship you this time. Oh, you saved us. Thank you, God. Hey, I'm going to go get bail over here real quick. Be right back. Not to bail on you. <laughs> yeah. Didn't know about these whole things. Yep. And somehow God kind of brought me in that section, and I'm just amazed at like how it was like there's a righteous king every like you know so many but eight million years. Every so often you get a one that will come through and actually like no we're gonna serve the Lord and like tear everything down, and then right after that you get several that are like ah we're just gonna go back to doing what we were gonna do. Yeah. This, this cycle of judges is the cycle of life. 
Does anyone remember what the name Israel even means? Strives with God, right? The name Israel came from the night that Jacob wrestled God. <laughs> that's, what our, that's what humanity has always been like, and that's what humanity, God's people, have been named because they constantly wrestle with God. They strive with God. They, they are always looking for their own way. And I think uh, when you look throughout history and you look throughout uh, the Bible, I think this idea of ebb and flows, you do see it. And I think Al's right. That part of the reason that we see it is because we go the other way and God lets us go with that. And the reason you always see revival seem to happen when life is falling apart, like in the Wesleyan revival when that came about, everyone was drunk. <laughs> just everywhere you went. Like, I don't even think they had clean water. Just everyone was drinking alcohol to survive. And, and like nobody was interested in God. Nobody was interested in following Jesus. And then suddenly out of this whole thing, there comes this revival. Martin Luther Everyone's interested in God, kind of, but like they're chasing after this Pharisaic version of Him, and God comes and liberates, just like He liberates Israel from Egypt. Like you just constantly see these uh, movements where part of the reason God shows up at our lowest points is because He had to let us go to our lowest points before we would listen. It's a thing that we, we learn in recovery groups, AA, uh, that we had to hit rock bottom before we ever realized, like, I can't do this alone, or I have to listen, or I have to have a higher power. I have to, I have to believe in Jesus because I can't do this. We often hit rock bottom. And in those moments, God is perhaps... Uh, ready to do something new. And when I look at the pandemic and I just think over all the spiritual themes that have gone on, it feels to me like a part of the ebb and flow. Look, I'm not saying God caused the pandemic. What I see throughout uh, the Bible is that um, God holds the world together, right? It's a good way to say it. And that sometimes when things fall apart, it's because God has just stepped back. Because when God steps back, things naturally implode on themselves. And that's often God's way of saying, you wanted your own desires, I turn you over to it. This is what happens when you don't want me. Everything falls apart. The flood, the way that the flood is pictured is almost as though there is this huge snow globe ceiling holding back the waters and there's windows that used to open. This was the way that people used to think with flat earth. The earth was flat, had a snow globe ceiling, and there's windows, and God would open up the windows sometimes and it would rain. So the flood is pictured as, you want to know what it's like? Like, you guys are destroying the earth, you're destroying one another. You want to know what it's like when I step back? It's as though the entire ceiling that holds everything back is just gone now. And you're handed over to, to what life is without me. And that's often what judgment looks like in the Bible. It's just God taking a step back and we destroy ourselves. And when you look at the pandemic, me and many pastors, when it started, we all kind of had this feeling because our churches were just going downhill. Uh, we all had this feeling like this isn't necessarily a bad thing. 
it feels once again like God is looking for the remnant because he can do some real work with the people who survive the pandemics of their time. That he can do some real work with those who, despite difficulty, remain faithful. Joseph remains faithful to God. He's living in Egypt. His wife has the name of a false god. (laughs) His wife's dad is a priest among false gods. And yet, despite all that, Joseph continues to stay focused on Yahweh. I will follow him and him alone. And God uses that not just to save Israel, but even Egypt. Egypt would have been under so much more in their own pandemic or epidemic if they didn't have one faithful remnant of God amongst everything else. When I say remnant, I mean Joseph really kind of was a remnant. You see the things that his brothers did? (laughs) Joseph looked a lot more faithful than any of them. Joseph looked more faithful than his dad, even his grandpa, and his great-grandpa. So you see what God does through, through the remnant. The remnant of Israel. Like Jesus seemed cautious sometimes preaching the gospel. I speak in parables so only those who are supposed to hear will hear. And everyone else who isn't really interested in me, it'll go in one ear and out the other. But those who have the secret of the kingdom of heaven, they will be able to interpret the parables as they hear it and follow me. Jesus wasn't interested in grabbing unfaithful people. He had already seen that a hundred times. Jesus wasn't even interested in grabbing everyone who is there for a miracle. Hey, I heard this guy fed 5,000 people last week. Let's see if he does it again. Jesus was looking for the people who would hear the parable and search for the meaning, who really were a part of the remnant. And Paul is going to go on to talk about the real remnant of Israel. They're actually not just Jewish. They're from all tribes, all tongues, all cultures. And God is pulling all of them in to become the real Israel. And they, no matter their tribe, nation, language, ethnicity, color of their skin, gender, etc., they are the real remnant. They are the ones that God was calling. And look what God did with the early church remnant. Changed the world. We're in this room because of what they did. After Jesus himself just worked with 12 and then 72. And then the whole thing exploded. Look at what God can do with the remnant. And as I look over the last 19 months of pandemic, I've seen churches lose people because of wearing masks. I've seen churches lose people because of politics instead of following Jesus as your king. I've seen people... uh, Uh, Churches lose people over weird Trump idolatry. I've seen churches lose people over all kinds of petty, stupid, and even blasphemous things. And there's a remnant now. I've seen people, uh, I've seen churches lose people over uh, just laziness, falling out of habit and not really caring about church anymore. My life is fine without it. I don't really need to go back. What's community mean anyways? Like, there's all different kinds of reasons people have left. And right now, I feel like people are in the most silent moment that we have been in the whole pandemic. Like, it was hard when the pandemic hit, but we had creative energy going, right? 
And we had the threat of everything's got to change in my entire life, not just church, like everywhere. I got to figure out school. I got to figure out babysitting. I got to figure out my life. I've got to figure out church life. I got to figure out A, B, C, D, like all the way to Z. There was enough momentum in that that it actually kind of numbed the pain. But right now, as Jackson hits like a 13% transfer rate of, of COVID and, and now state of Michigan needs to mask up again and all these things, like with the pressure of all that happening, we all just feel spiritually met, <laughs> right? I, I keep waiting for, for God to put his hands back on the earth, if you will, in our analogy. That things would just return to some kind of normalcy. But in this time, I'm now seeing people hurt on a whole new level. Lots of people just closing their houses with lots of pain that they're not even talking about, don't know how to deal with. Uh, I've seen mental health crises. I've seen uh, a million different things. I myself, like the last three months, have been pretty horrible personally. Not like in my life, just in my mind. Like the rate at which there was just this darkness was so heavy, it was just hard to carry it. And I say that because I know a bunch of you are feeling the same exact way. But then even in the midst of that over the last few months, I have not only seen God kind of give a bunch of words throughout the 19 months of pandemic, and in hindsight I can see little blips of God, even though it wasn't super loud or super, super often. But recently I've seen enough where it's like my soul feels restored. But right now, people aren't leaving the church because of politics or mass or things like that. People are leaving the church because they're starting to not believe in God anymore. Like if God's a good God, where is he? If God is omnipresent and everywhere, why does life feel like this? If God cares about the things that I'm going through, why do they only seem to get more and more and more worse? That's how a lot of people feel right now. And as I look at all that and I think through the passages we've just talked about, it just feels like a continuation of the chisel. That God is still looking at his church and saying, who is going to be faithful all the way to the end of this? Where is my remnant? So the church hasn't been uh, in America, the church hasn't been overly like impactful on society well we have in a lot of negative ways but like even when we look at some of like the the big church movements we realize that's just a lot of a lot of people focused in one spot across the board in the church in america churches have been dying for years and in some ways the pandemic kind of felt like a, a all right, let's let a lot of this go and start over. Who will stay faithful all the way to the end? And that is, if this message has felt painful or hopeless, I'm actually, at this point, I'm trying to encourage you. You have made it this far. Look around this room. Casey, you count people. How many people are here? Uh, 17 and 6. Okay, so 23. Thank you. <laughs> There are 23 people in this room. Out of the 90 to 103 that were here 19 months ago, you 
are the faithful remnant of 1208. And I promise you God will work through you if you continue to push forward. He loves you and He loves your energy and He loves that you haven't given up. And He sees your life. If you feel like He's missing, if you feel like life is falling apart, that He's not present, I promise you He's there and He weeps with you and He feels your pain. And He does have an answer because Jesus is the answer. You already have that in your life. Just because Jesus might feel quiet or the Holy Spirit might not feel like there's this huge movement, stay faithful. Maybe we'll see the next revival in our days. If not, it's through your faithfulness leading into the generation after you that we'll see it. Or the generation after that. You are powerful. You are important. And God is going to use you to restore things. And that's not just when this whole thing feels like it's over and we get back to normal. He wants to do it right now. The church is the answer to pandemic. If people are hungry, we're the ones who feed them. If people are lonely, we're the ones who visit them. If people need to see Jesus, they cannot see it in anyone else but you because you have the Holy Spirit building Jesus inside of you until you are chiseled into his shape. Life sucks in pandemic or epidemic or when God steps away. But that is the moment where the church rises up. And that's often what even Revelation is all about. It's what happens if God removes his hands and Satan has full control over just doing whatever he wants. Well, the world falls apart, but there are these people who call Christians who proclaim the gospel all the way to the end, even if it requires their life, and it changes the world even then. And so that is the promise to you, and that is the encouragement to keep staying strong. And I, I think that there is a bigger blessing, and I don't use that word in a prosperity gospel kind of way, but God wants you as a person to flourish. He's not interested in your life falling apart. There is a blessing or a flourishment that I think will be available to those who continue to be a remnant. Even if that's just in your emotional state where you will find a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit at the end of this. I'm excited for that. And I wait for that. I don't know when that comes. But I know that God is still here. And he still speaks. And he has not left, even though it feels like. So, let me pray for you and I'll let you go. God, we want 1208 to be something that can't be shaken. That as the end, whenever that is, maybe thousands of years from now, as you get ready to come out... as so you're up in heaven looking at Jesus as He's getting ready to go and you're like, hang on, hang on. Still looking for that fullness of the faithful remnant. Hang on. Every tribe, nation, language. We pray that uh, while we are here, we would build things that would not shake when the world is falling apart. That in the new creation, this building of 1208 might still exist. Because the remnant held it together to, to serve you. That the things that we do as we go out to bring heaven to Jackson throughout the week, 
that there would be things that we've done uh, that when you come to shake, those things would remain. That there would be people that when you come uh, would have been impacted by us. And as things shake, they would be given immortal bodies instead of, of, of finding uh, uh, life uh, in the lake of fire. Jesus, you are our king. You are our entirety. We want to be faithful to you starting tonight. God, I pray for anyone in this room, which may be all of us, any darkness lingering about the mind, I pray tonight that you would break through that with some light, maybe from something that's already been said, maybe by someone who, who needs to speak a prophetic word into their life, maybe by someone who uh, uh, needs to um, become a, a new friend or a close friend. Pray you give dreams and visions to those in need of it. Pray you give words to those who, who haven't heard it in a while. May we be a faithful remnant. May we see your kingdom come here in Jackson as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for giving us a few extra minutes. You're dismissed, and we will catch you soon.